0: Today, um, we're going to talk about a subject that's not talked about in churches a lot, um, as it should. And typically when it is talked about in churches, it is on the harsh side. But today our topic is hell. We're going to talk about what does the Bible say about hell. Um, William Booth, he is the founder of the Salvation Army. And he, he makes this statement. He said brothers and sisters perhaps i should apologize to you for keeping you here for two years just to teach you how to lead a soul to jesus christ it would have been better had you spent five minutes in hell well, what is william booth saying he, he's saying we, we've invested all this time to tell you how to win somebody to hell but the, the most deciding factor is that if we take it seriously evangelism becomes a whole different ball game for us Like, if we had to experience five minutes here and we knew within our five minutes it would keep us from having other people go there. If we put as much time into preventing people from going to hell as we do for not going back to the restaurant that we had a really bad experience at and posting it all on Yelp reviews and all on Facebook, we would save the world. You agree with me on that? Like, hell's a real place. And just mentioning that word makes people very, very uncomfortable. Because nobody likes to talk about how people spend eternity in hell. But here's reality. I don't either, but it's true. And why is it true? Because the Bible tells us that there's a separation that happens. There's 60% of Americans actually believe that there's a place called hell. There are many pastors that preach that hell does not exist. Uh, I have a hard time with that. Why? Because the Bible doesn't say that. And I always like to get my theology from the Bible and not from somebody else or self-help gurus. So 60% of Americans say that Hell's real. Here's what's interesting. Only four percent of those actually believe that they're going there. Okay? y'all I'm not a mathematician by any means, but that doesn't add up. All right? so only four percent of people here in America believe that they're actually gonna go to hell. Um I'm not gonna say anything else on that. We're just gonna move. Uh you you can't you can't believe in heaven without believing in hell. You can't. There's there's no separation. The the fact that there is a hell makes that, that there's a heaven. And you can't you can't accept, or cannot accept Jesus and reject hell at the same time. Why? Because Jesus speaks more about hell than any other topic in the scriptures. You're aware of that. Money and hell, the two things that he talks about the most. Um, and so my prayer today, and just to let you know kind of where I'm going in this room with you, is to persuade you that if you are unsure about where you're heading in your life, that you would surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus and spend eternity with him and not eternally separated from him. So we're gonna look in Luke chapter 16 today. So if you have your Bibles, you're gonna open up to Luke chapter 16. Dr. Luke writes these words. He says, there was a rich man who would dress up in purple and fine linen, and he was feasting lavishly every day, but there was a poor man named Lazarus. It was not the same one that was, Lazarus was a very popular name. But there's a poor man named Lazarus. So let's just stop right there in the story. We got two people, right? We got a rich man, and we got a poor man. This Lazarus, the poor man, says he was covered with sores. He's laying at the gate, um, and he longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. Would you say that this guy's in a pretty bad spot? Like. He sees the rich man having everything that he wants, and he would just love just to eat the table scraps, but he can't even get to the table scraps because he's got dogs licking his sores. It says, one day the poor man, he died, and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died, and he was buried, okay? Now, I want you to notice something here. What is the rich man's name? do not tell us what the rich man's name is. Because in our culture, it's about the pride, the the ones who have the self-esteem, the the, the people want their names out there. Like we want to build a brand for ourselves, build a name for ourselves. The only person in this passage that is named is the poor man who has surrendered to Jesus. And it says the rich man dies and he's buried. So poor man dies, he goes to Abraham's side. Rich man dies and he goes to be buried. And being in torment in Hades... He looked up and he saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. So there's a separation. And he says, Father Abraham, he calls out. He said, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue. Because I am in agony in this flame. Now isn't that amazing that this rich man probably walked by this poor man every single day at the gate and watched him. As he ate his food and threw his scraps to the dogs, watching this, guy, now how the tables have turned from the powerful to the meek. And he says, son, Abraham said, remember, remember that during your life, you received your good things. You got what you asked for. Just as Lazarus had received bad things, but now here he is comforted while you are in agony. And he says, besides all this, there's a great chasm that has been fixed between us and you. And he says, so that that those who want to pass over from, from here to you, they can't do that. They can't do it. Neither can those from there cross over to us. There's a chasm of destinations. We got a poor man on one side by Abraham's side. And you got the rich man on the other side. And he says, Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn. I want to warn my brothers so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, well, they have Moses and they have the prophets and they should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead does to them, if he goes back to them and tells them, then they're going to repent because of what they see. But he told them, if they do not listen to Moses and to the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead or not. It won't matter. I want to give you three truths about hell this morning from this passage. And we'll start here. The reality of hell is there is an eternal separation. It's a separation. It's, it's separated between life and death. There's, there's two places here. The rich man is in Hades, and Hades technically is not hell. Hades is technically the spiritual realm where the dead are in like this holding place until, I want you to catch that because I don't want you to think I'm preaching purgatory. Purgatory is not in the scripture. Hades is a holding place until Jesus is crucified on the cross and his blood has been shed for his people and he comes into Hades and he takes. Remember, we we say that in the Apostles' Creed that he took the keys of death and hell and he, he pulls the people out. This is this is the holding place. Now today, if you die with Jesus, you are with Jesus. And if you die without Jesus, you are in hell, not in this eternal. That's a whole other sermon. We're not going to get there because nobody's asked that question yet. So Hades, think about it this way, is an underworld. Okay? It's an underworld. But if we think of it in terms of like hell, this might make a little bit more sense to you. The rich man's in Hades. The righteous man by Lazarus' side is in heaven. So, so we have them... And two destinations is a chasm that separates the two. And what we see is, is the temporary holding place of, of these dead. The rich man's going to ask a question. And when he asks this question in this passage, it's not the question that you you and I would think that would be asked, because I would ask this question if I'm in the rich man's position. Can I have a second chance? Can can I get a do-over? Can can you help me get out of this place? But he didn't say any of those things. The question that he asked was this. Can you please send a message to my family? Because I, I, they can't come here. They, they can't be a part of I don't want them to experience this. He realizes that the destination for them without believing the gospel and about believing in Jesus is eternal Separation. Why is that important? Well, let's look back at verse 26. He says, besides all of this, there's this great chasm that has been fixed between us and you, heaven and hell, and it's been fixed so that those who want to pass over from here to there cannot. Neither can those cross over to this side. You, You can't jump back and forth when you die your security is in jesus your assurance is in jesus you're in heaven you can't jump out of heaven back into hell and you definitely can't jump from hell into heaven and this is important because the passage shows us that there are only two destinations when a person dies heaven or hell not that not that complicated And a person can't cross the divide there's no amount of prayers there's no relics there's no not enough hell marys in the world to help you cross back over. When we take our final breaths, we are either standing in the presence of Jesus in heaven or eternally separated. That's what the gospel is telling us here. And everybody will go one of two places. One of two places. We don't get to to get a second chance. There is no reset for teenagers. There's no respawn once you die. It, It is what it is. It is done. We have taken our final breaths. In Hebrews, the writer says this in Hebrews chapter 9, 27. It is appointed for, it's appointed for a man or a woman to die once and then be judged. We all have an appointment. Now, I pray our appointments are a long way off, right? I hope that our, our spiritual appointments of death are as long as our doctor's appointments are that we have to sit in that waiting room. Long way off, am I right? But we all have an appointment and we're going to die, and there's going to be a judgment. Another insight that we get from this text is that we don't just cease to exist. There is a belief called the belief uh, belief of annihilation, which says this, is that um, at death, unbelievers are just completely extinguished. If you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven. But if you're an unbeliever, you didn't make that choice, so you're just completely extinguished. That's it. You're just Dust in the sky, dust in the wind, as Kansas would say, and, and, and that's it. And because of that, unbelievers will not spend eternity in hell. They get off, they just don't be, get to be with Jesus. The problem with that is this passage shows us that this man is in a place of punishment and Lazarus is in a place of joy. There are two destinations. So we can't come up and say that the, the theology of purgatory is true. And we can't come up and say that the theology of annihilation is true. The truth theology is there is a heaven and there is a hell. With the blood of Jesus, there is heaven. Without the blood of Jesus, there is eternal separation from God. There's a story of a college student who who tells tells C.S. Lewis about this gravestone that he had read. And he tells C.S. Lewis, here lies an atheist, all dressed up and nowhere to go. And Lewis responded... Man, I bet he wishes that was so. Bet he wishes that were so. You know, the other thing about these beliefs in hell, because it's such a difficult topic, because it sounds very unkind to say that somebody is going to hell, that we create these theologies, I call them comfort theologies, to make us feel better. And... One of those is a doctrine that we call soul sleep. You got purgatory and annihilation and soul sleep. And that's your body goes into the soul sleep. And then after a while, you'll wake up and you'll be in the presence of Jesus. I want you to notice something about this passage. We don't see anything about soul sleeping. They are very alert and aware of what is happening in eternity. Y'all, we will be very alert and aware of what's happening in eternity. And heaven will not involve us sitting on a cloud playing harps all day, okay? I just have a hard time believing that that's what heaven is. I believe heaven is us in the presence of God doing the things that he has designed us to do. I believe heaven looks a lot like the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We'll talk about heaven in another point. But the doctrine, Paul says, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord for the believer. So when we die as believers, we are in the presence of the Lord. We don't get into a holding chamber and we just kind of held in a penalty box for a while and got to suffer it through it. And then all of a sudden, boom, we're in the presence of Jesus. The moment that you die as a Christian, you're in his presence. That's, that's really, really, really good news for us. Because there's joy in the presence. There, there's no suffering. We, we've done our suffering on this side. The reality of hell is there is a separation for the unbeliever. The condition of hell, though, is suffering is suffering. There's suffering that happens when you are separated from God. We, we see in the text that he's being tormented, tormented in a real place, with real fire, with real pain. Now, when I say that word hell, what, what would even come to your mind? Because we we've, we've heard about it, especially if you grew up in Sunday school to some extent, and we, we have our thoughts about how we even use that term here in our world even if you're not a believer of saying man this is like hell on earth they're going through you know what i mean like we, we know that there's a weight to that word but there's a suffering that comes along with that word there's a torment there is a real place See, let me give you a couple of pieces here that that hell is a place of outer darkness matthew 25 verse 30 tells us it is a place of outer darkness I don't know how you feel about darkness. I'm not a person that likes to hang out in the dark. Anybody else with me? Like, that's just not the place. Because when I'm hanging out in the dark, uh, we when we go to summer camp last year, we, we took our students there. We went in this tunnel that was completely dark, told them no flashlights. It, it's late at night. I, listen, I, I heard boys, and they will not admit this, but I heard teenage boys crying in there. It's like, you know, that, that sigh, Like scared to death, right? Because it was darkness, and we started hearing things that probably didn't really exist, but we convinced ourselves that things were real. There were zombies in there, right? The, the, like the walking dead, this is probably where it all happened. We, you know, because darkness drives us insane. And the Bible says that hell is a place of, of outer darkness. It's also a, a place of physical pain. We see that. We just read that in the passage. It, it's a place that's horrifying. You, you, you think about being in darkness and hurting and not be able to see where the pain's coming from, not be able to do anything about it. It's also in, in Matthew twenty five thirty when he says that this is a place of darkness, he also comes and says that this is a place that's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, could you imagine being in darkness and you're going through your pain and you're hearing other people go through their pain? There's a weeping and gnashing that's happening. That is the worship of hell. It also says it's a place of unquenchable, literal fire. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about why that is here in just a minute. All that to say this is hell is the place that you do not want to go. God gave his son Jesus so that we can be in his presence and have a relationship with him so we did not have to be separated. Hell is all of our doing. We get everything that we deserve and everything that we have built for ourselves. That is the reward is hell because without Jesus, it's never enough. It's never enough. So if that if reading through those things feel overwhelming to you, they should be. As a believer, we should that that should drive our worship is that God has pulled us and saved us from the fire. To be with him, to have relationship with him. You should there should almost be like, we're indebted to him. Like, what, I need to surrender my life to you. Do whatever you want me to do. Use me however you want to use me because you saved me from this. R.C. Sproul says this, because the reality of hell is this, by the way, that Jesus spoke about it, again, more than any, anybody else. But listen to what R.C. Sproul has to say. He says, the fact is, however, that virtually every statement in the Bible concerning hell comes from the lips of Jesus. We cannot take Jesus seriously without taking seriously what he said regarding eternal punishment. There is very little about hell in the Old Testament and very little in the epistles. You ever thought about that? Very little. He said it's almost as if God decided that a teaching that is this frightening would not be received from any lesser authority than that of his own son. And this is what Jesus is teaching, giving warnings. I have paid the price so this doesn't have to happen. This is not what was intended. This is the consequence of the sin. But you have a way out. If you knew that you were trapped in a fire and there was a way out, wouldn't you go to that way out? If you knew that that window was wide open and there was safety on the other side of that window, wouldn't you jump out of that window at all costs? Wouldn't you drag your kids, your wife, your husband out of that window, your dog, your cats can stay. Everybody else goes out the door. I'm sure that hell has something to do with cats. I hadn't figured it, but I'm going to find it before I uh... To all you cat people, we love you. In Jesus' name, we love you. There are four realities of hell. Hell has no hope. There's no hope. The pain never ends. You think about it. If you fell not in here don't fall in here we don't want to put our insurance to the test but you're at your house and you fall and you break your arm and it's painful in that moment is it not like it it hurts but there's hope because you know there's a doctor there's an emergency room somewhere with all the right necessities all the right things to make that pain go away you know it's going to be all right we live in a culture and a world where we have some hope on some things that it's going to be okay but can you imagine if there was none, that it was just pain forever, forever. That back pain that you have that will not go away is eternal. It hurts. Pain, pain that never, ever ends, that, that is hopeless. Would you agree with me on that? Hell is also a place of unanswered prayers. It's a place of unanswered prayers. The rich man asks for just a drop of water just to relieve him, just a drop. And Abraham dismisses the request, doesn't give him any water, no, not a single drop, not a mist machine, nothing. It shows us that praying in hell is useless because nobody hears, because you are eternally separated from God. No way out. Imagine a world where nobody can help you. Nobody can help you. You're all by yourself. You suffer through your pain by yourself. You suffer through your heartache, physical pain, spiritual pain, emotional pain, and nobody can help you. Imagine your darkest day and not a single person can help you. That's what the Bible says hell is. It's also a place, this is a weird one, I'm going to have to explain this a little bit, but it's also the place where the worm never dies. Where the worm never dies. Now, where, where, what are we talking about? Like, Well, the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 9, it says, if your eye causes you to fall away. Now, we could insert a lot of things in that for the word eye, Okay. Because we can say, uh, if your cell phone is causing you to constantly look at pornography, then you need to throw your cell phone away. If, if your computer is causing issues, you need to throw it away. If, if, if you know, whatever your is, you can say, uh, you can just insert it here. And if your blank causes you to fall away, you need to throw it away and get rid of it, right? And he says, so if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. Don't take that literally, again. Um, it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm die, does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, what is he talking about? Because that's weird. Have you ever had a song stuck in your head? We call it songworms. Like, for instance, don't stop. Mm. Now, how many of you going to go home and you're going to turn that on the radio when you get home? Like you wanted to break out the lighters. It's just stuck in your head. You ready for another one, parents? Baby. You're welcome. You're welcome. And can you imagine that just being stuck in your head all the time and everywhere you go? Remember that song was all the rage with kids. And it it wasn't just little kids. Like teenagers started singing it and doing it. And then we had adults show up to church in in shark costumes. Um, And so it it was a really, really big deal. And that song was nonstop. And, I, I, you know, you hear parents going, oh, my gosh, can we turn that off? Can we not? That, that's a song worm. Where it gets in your head. You know, like in the CIA, they use songs to torment terrorists to get them to speak. They just keep playing the same thing over and over and over again. You do not want to find out that it's your song that they're using to play over and over and over again to get top secret stuff from terrorists. This is the worm that's in your head. And what he's saying here in Mark chapter nine, it's not a song that replays in your head over and over. It is the moment that you rejected Jesus. Every time that you rejected the gospel, that's the thought that will constantly play over and over and over in your mind, in the darkness, without any hope, in the pain. You will keep Playing over and over in your mind. Even in this moment, we're gonna give an invitation a few minutes. And if you reject Jesus, this moment will be the thing that you will continuously go back over and over and over in your mind. It will be the worm. It will be on replay all the times that you rejected Jesus. Your conscience will eat you alive. It's a place where the worm never dies, but it's also hell, it's for eternity. We don't understand the concept of eternity. We understand that life is short. It's fast. This is reality for me this week. I went to the eye doctor, and he asked me if, my, if I thought my eyesight had changed. And I thought, yeah, I think it's changed. He said, well, typically when you hit in your 40s, not paying you, uh, there, there, there's, we realize I'm not as young as I used to be. Anybody ever have one of those moments? Like, last year, I grabbed a book bag from behind my, you know, just grabbing a book bag and threw my shoulder out. It's like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm breakable, right? Life is short. Because goes about 10 years ago. That would not been an issue. Um, you know, I used to be able to get out of the bed and and not have any aching in my body. Um, I used to play basketball and not have, well, excuse me, I was on the court attempting to play basketball, but... Now, if I go play any type of sport, I take any type of pain reliever before I play and after I play. Anybody else? Life is short, and and, and it reminds us. So we don't understand this concept of eternity. That's forever. See, hell is real, life is short, and eternity is too long for us to be wrong about this. It's too long. The question is who goes to hell? This is the truth. Is that the inhabitants of hell is the unbeliever. Some believer. The rich man's problem was not that he was rich. I want you to hear that. His problem was not that he was rich. He went to hell because he was unrepentant. He didn't cry out for his Savior. Notice this about the text. The rich man is trying to claim ignorance. Like, I didn't know it even existed. I didn't know. And Abraham says, no, 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 no. You had the law of Moses. You had the word of God. You knew. And you did not accept. And then to say... Would you just go tell, would you go tell my family? Because if they see somebody raised from the dead, they'll believe it. Hey, everybody, Jesus was raised from the dead and people still do not believe. And he says, listen. It won't matter if somebody comes from here and they go back and they tell your family, they're not going to believe off of what they've seen. They have the word of God and they do not believe. The Bible is not enough for some people. For some people, the Bible is not even real. You know, people want miracles and signs. And Abraham said, even those things will not persuade you. You ever notice that Jesus does miracles? And a lot of times he says, hey, don't even tell anybody. Don't even tell anybody that I just healed you or raised your daughter from the dead. Because they'll just follow me for what I can do and not for who I am. If a dead man comes back to life, he said, they still would not believe. The good news for us today is that Jesus came to earth. Jesus defeated death. And if we repent of our sin, death no longer can be our punishment. Never. Death for us as believers is a pathway to the Father. God never sends anybody to hell. Never. It's a choice. And in fact, you and I punch our own tickets. When when we're on this side of eternity and we live a life that rejects God, we are securing our spots in hell. When we say things like God, God doesn't tell me what to do. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do my life the way that I want to do my life. I know better about my life. I I know everything. I don't need God in my life. And here's what's going to happen. When we take our last breath, never surrendering and rejecting God over and over and over again, and we come in the judgment, God's going to grant your request, and that request is I'm going. You got it. Here you go. This is your destination. I tried to give you everything on this side of eternity, giving you over and over and over ample opportunity, and you denied and rejected because you wanted to do it your way. You punch your ticket. Heaven is God's authority over your life and my life. Hell is your authority. It's all about you. The good news is you don't have to to go to hell. By rejecting Jesus, you make that decision by accepting Jesus and surrendering to his lordship. You have relationship with him ever asked this question, why in the world is there eternal fire in hell? Why is there eternal fire in hell? Why does Jesus say it's an eternal fire? In the Bible, fire and blood go together. I want you to track back with me to the Old Testament for a moment. When they would come to the altar to make their sacrifices for sin, the blood and the fire the blood would be shed for the forgiveness of sin and the fire would be used to burn up the sin to justify, to say this is done. Our choice is punishment in hell by unquenchable fire or by the blood of Jesus, just one single drop of blood secures our salvation for the cross. The fire of hell never burns the sin. Because it's never good enough to purify and justify because there is no blood of Jesus in hell. So the justice of God's never satisfied, but one single drop of blood will cover all the sin in your life and satisfy the justice of God forever. Amen. What can wash away my sin? Nothing no good deeds, no perfect attendance in the church. You can memorize a thousand Bible verses. You can pray a thousand prayers. Nothing will wash your sin away except the blood of Jesus. We're going to be a church that's going to preach the gospel. We will not be intimidated by the flames of hell. We will do everything in our power to reach the one to bring them from those internal punishments because we believe that God wants to give you life and life more abundantly, he says. So if you're if you're lost today, if you're unsure today. I want you to accept the sacrifice of Jesus to cover all of your sins. He's calling you, he's, he's appointed even this time, the Bible says that he appointed. That he guides and directs our steps. You did not walk into this place by accident today. You're not hearing this message by accident. For people watching online, they didn't just click randomly on Facebook. It didn't random. God pre-appoints our times. So you're not hearing this by accident. God's going to ask you on judgment day, are you a sinner? And every single one of us will have a resounding, yes, we are. And he'll ask if we have a sacrifice for our sins. And if you say, I don't have a sacrifice, I'm just going to offer myself. The Bible says that if you die in your sin, then you will pay the price for your sin. And the wages of sin is death. But if you've accepted Jesus, the free gift of salvation, then Jesus steps in where we're short. He says, hey, Dad, I want you to judge them on what I've done for them. They have been covered by my blood, accepted my sacrifices, surrendered to the Lordship. I've got it. If you're unsure of your salvation, even in this moment, if you would just bow your heads, even if you're unsure, because eternity is a long time to be wrong, life is short. I don't want this to be a message that scares the hell out of you to pour heaven into you. I want it to be a place where you know that God has sent His only Son because He's loved you so much that you can have a relationship with Him and never be separated from Him. If you're unsure this morning, would you just pray this prayer? Just say, Jesus, I repent of my sin and I accept this free gift of salvation. I repent of my sin and I accept this free gift of salvation. And if you don't know that you know, would you just pray that prayer of surrender? Today puts a spiritual marker down. If you've prayed that prayer today, is your spiritual marker. This is the day that that chasm separated, I accepted Jesus and Jesus, I am now secure in him. There are next steps for this. The next step is, hey, following through with baptism. Letting, go in public with your faith, letting people know I have surrendered my life to Jesus. Today I walk out of here 100% sure of this moment. Today is the day that salvation came in to my life. And I want to pray with you. I want to know. I don't want you just to pray a prayer and walk out of here. I want to walk with you and help you be discipled so you can be everything that God has called you to be, and that is to be a disciple maker. So we're going to sing here just a minute. The worship team's going to come, and we're going to sing. And I'm just going to stand right over here. And if you've prayed that prayer today, I want you to be bold and walk. There's nobody judging you for a decision that you made in here today. Am I right? There's celebration here, because this is why we exist, church, to reach the lost. And if you prayed that prayer today, you're not lost anymore. You, The Father has found you and has brought you back in. He leaves the 99 to find the one. Today, you have been found. So, Jesus, in this moment, I pray for all those who have surrendered to you. I pray that they would have the courage just to come. Let's make it public today. To be prayed for. To take their steps of faith to be baptized. Lord, everything within them is going to say not, not to move. That's the enemy. He has no place here. So maybe we take our steps today. For those of us who are followers of Jesus. May even in this moment as we sing, may we sing with glad hearts of knowing what God has saved us from and what he has saved us to and he has saved us to himself. May we declare this as people who have been found by the Father. And I pray these names, these things in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.